0: Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. I've told some of you that in my spare time lately, I have been doing uh, this activity, which is slightly unusual, uh, which is the flying trapeze. Uh, some of you, when I've told you, you've said to me, uh, Emily, now <laughs> I'm having a bit of trouble putting you and the flying trapeze together <laughs> in the same sentence, in the same picture. How are you doing this? I received this Christmas present at the end of last year, which was a six-week challenge of flying trapeze classes. There's this outdoor flying trapeze rig behind this, the aquatic centre in Homebush. Um, and essentially how it goes is you, you get a belt around your waist, and, um, which has got a couple of like metal hooks on it. You clip yourself onto a seven-metre ladder. ladder. You climb up this ladder with fear and trepidation, get to the top of the ladder and there's a platform that goes this way and the net goes out that way. Now either side of this platform there's a, a post here and a post on the other side and so you need to somehow navigate your way or into the middle without falling off the back. But you're hooked on, so it's all safe. And then they detach you from the ladder and hook you on to a couple of um, ropes that they're going to use to keep you in the air when you're on the trapeze. And then they pass you the bar. You hold on to this post here. They pass you the bar with one hand. And then you have to have two hands on the trapeze, right? In order to take hold of it with your second hand, you have to put your center of gravity off the front of the platform in order to grab it with your second hand. And the person's holding the back of your belt. Mm, terrifying. Every time I've done, a, I've had five lessons so far and it still my heart races every time and even slightly now. And so you stand there with both hands on this bar and then you bend your knees and then they go, Hap! <laughs> and you have to, I won't, I'm just going to stand back a bit while I demonstrate. And then you have to jump. And of course, as you jump, your arms go up and you go um, and you like hang you, and there's a bit of a jolt and you, you hang and you fly through the air and then as you do so, you have to get your knees above the bar, which, of course, is all the way up there. <laughs> get your knees above the bar. As you hook your knees over, they say, arms off, You let go of your arms and you swing by your knees, seven metres suspended in the air. And, um, and then if you get the timing right, which I have not yet, you, the other man who's swinging catches you like this and you let go of your knees and then you swing by someone else's arms and then they drop you into the net seven metres below. You thought running was hard, yes! Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> flying trapeze. Oh, my goodness. Now, the problem, apart from all of the fear that you have to push through in order to do that, is that the next day, particularly after the first time I did it, I could not lift my arms past here. Some, some of you saw me. I sat down to have a chat with Brian Robinson in a, in a comfy chair. I said, Brian, I can't get out. <laughs> like, I can't. Seriously, my abs were sore. My I couldn't lift my arms past here. I was walking around all... It was a Saturday morning, so I was walking around all stiff talking to, or talking to everyone at church on Sunday morning in so much pain using these muscles I didn't even know I had. Why? What is that that's hurting? I don't even know. Everything hurts. Everything hurts. Now, the reason, I think, that I was hurting in muscles I didn't even realise that I had is that the exercises that the flying trapeze instructors were giving me were purpose-designed in order to become good at flying trapeze. I've done swimming, I've done hockey, I've done tennis. In order to become good at those sports, your coach, your trainer, gives you very different types of exercises in order to become good at those sports. To be good at flying trapeze, you have to use very different muscles. Now, why am I telling you all about my flying trapeze um, attempts? I was, I'm not going to say failures. I'm not a failure. I'm not a success yet, but it's an attempt. It's an attempt. I'm giving it a go. I'm giving it a go. It's this. The practices that you do when you're training for something are purpose-built for the thing that you're being built into, the thing that you're being trained for. When it comes to our faith, when it comes to our spirituality, God gives us exercises. He gives us practices. He brings things into our life that are custom-made, purpose-built In order for us to reach the goal that he has for us, which is, as we've been talking about in this series, to become people of big faith. He brings things into our lives and he gives us exercises and practices in order uh, to shape us into people of big faith. And that's what we've been talking about in this series. We're right in the middle of it uh, at the moment, week three of five. And the premise that we've been saying, uh, saying about faith and growing a big faith is this. Uh, sometimes you can look down on people of faith and say, oh, faith is just, uh, it's just a trick, it's just a crutch that people have uh, to get them through life because they don't have the strength in and of themselves or whatever it takes to get through life on, them, on their own. So faith is just a trick, it's just a crutch that you might have um, that those people of faith would have to get through life. On the other end of the spectrum, we might look up to people of faith and say, oh, that's just for the great people. Faith is just a talent. It's just, it's just a virtue of personality or drive or skill. It's a talent. It's something that is unachievable. The people of big faith have those, the missionaries or people who've led great global movements. Uh, those people have great faith. It's not something that I could have. And both of those are unhelpful, either seeing faith as a trick or a talent, because faith is neither of those. In fact, it's something that's accessible to all of us because it's something that you grow. It's something that you grow. So week one, we talked about practised teaching as one thing that God brings into our lives to grow us into people of big faith. And last week, we talked about purposed relationships, relationships that God brings into your life to grow you into a person of big faith. And today, we're talking about private disciplines practices and exercises. Um, If you think of a sporting analogy that God uh, gives for us to do in order for us uh, to work out our faith, to become people uh, of big faith. Disciplines, exercises, practices are things that you do in the moment, things that you might not really want to do, so that one day you can do uh, what you want to be able to do one day. It's like not... um, Packing your lunch every morning for a week so that you can save an extra 50 bucks that week. You don't want to do it in the morning. You want the extra 15 minutes to sleep in. But you do it so that you can save, save money. It's delayed gratification. If you're an artist, you know this. It's practicing your painting or your sculpting or your pottery, whatever it might be, your photography. If you're a pianist, it's practicing those scales. When you don't want to do you don't want to do it, but you do it in the in the present moment, so that in the future you'll be able to do uh, what you want to be able to do in the future. And in the same way, God gives us spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices to grow us into people of big faith who have muscle memory, so that having a big faith in God just comes naturally. When it comes to our faith. Um, There's something that comes in the future. Um, it's a natural trust that we would have struggled with earlier. It's putting your house on the market and being at peace because you know that God has it in hand, no matter what the outcome is. Because you've done these practices uh, before, practicing having faith in God. It's the, it's having the courageous confidence to be countercultural at work because you trust the one who has asked you to shine the light of His love because you've been practicing uh, these disciplines. Now, there were lots of different spiritual exercises that we can do in order to grow our spiritual muscles or grow into people of big faith. Uh, But Jesus talks about two in particular here in this passage that we're going to focus in on that are absolutely vital for us to practice, really powerful practices if we're going to become people of big faith. Here they are, private prayer and private giving, learning to pray and learning to give, but not only learning to pray and learning to give. Learning to pray and give in such a way that nobody else knows you're doing it. (laughs) Private prayer and giving. Now this is not strategic. (laughs) Let me just flag this and no bucket's going to come around afterwards. This is not a stitch up. Uh, We've we've had our offering for the day. There's not another one coming, uh, waiting in the wings. This is simply about you and God and your relationship with him, your private faith in him. In fact, privacy is so key to this, as we will see later, that, that it's the way that Jesus frames up this whole passage. It's the way that he introduces um, this, whole, this whole section of what he's talking about. And then he goes on to talk in verses 2 to 4 about how not to give and how to give. And then uh, from verses 5 and following, how, how not to pray and how to pray. So um, I could just give you three steps of learning how to give and how to pray in private. But actually, if you want to really unlock their power in your life... if you want want to really take them and leverage their power to become a person of big faith, you need to first really dig into why Jesus chooses these practices. What is it about them that holds great power and great leverage for us to become people of big faith? What's special about them? Uh, And in particular, what is the power of privacy? So firstly, why are giving and prayer singled out here by Jesus? You know, when we choose to give and to pray, the muscle that Jesus is exercising in order to grow us into people of big faith is not so much to do with the giving and the prayer themselves. They're more the exercise equipment. That's the weights machine, if you like, giving and prayer. What Jesus is working on is the muscle that controls our grip on the things that we entrust to him when we give and when we pray. When we give and pray... God is exercising our capacity to relinquish the things we most naturally trust in and hope in. Our time when we pray and our money when we give. Don't we so often think like this, if only I had more time, if only I had more money, if only I had more annual leave, if only my car measured up to the other cars in the car park at work. If only I could afford to buy my kids. If only I had fewer meetings and more time at my desk. See how so much of our sense of leverage in life hones in on money and time. It's what we think we need. But you know, banking, banking on this interesting banking on the size of your portfolio or the amount of, of minutes in your calendar is not a 21st century phenomenon. In fact, the three of the primary religious obligations of the Jews the time when Jesus was living uh, were were giving to the giving to the needy, arms giving that was in, in addition to uh, your tithing that you would give uh, at the temple. What you would give to God, or at, maybe at church, would be the equivalent. Um, t- alms giving, the giving, um, and prayer, and the third one would be fasting, focusing in on on giving. Um, time and food. So, we, we're not even going to go near food today, don't you worry. We're just two is enough. Two out of the three will focus in on our time and our money and food. We can leave that for another day. But suffice to say, the same principle applies there uh, as well. That's what Jesus goes on to talk to after what we've read today. But you know, God knows this gravi- gravitational pull that we have towards time and money and food, even though we know there are false security. He knows that we, there's a gravitational uh, pull that we have towards them to find our security in them, to find our significance in them. And so God has built custom-built these exercises into the rhythms of our faith in order to exercise our capacity to relinquish our grip on them because he knows they're a source of false security. <laughs> Now you might think to yourself, "I thought you were talking about faith. Isn't that different to trust?" Uh, interestingly, in the Greek language, which is the language that this uh, book, this letter, was originally written in, the same root word is uh, the root word is the same for belief and trust and faith. The thing that you believe most in is the thing you trust most in is the thing you have the most faith in. All those three words, effectively, they come from the same Greek word. And so, when we talk about the thing that you have the most faith in, the thing that you trust in, that's what what it means to be a person of big faith is to have big trust in God or big belief in God. And so the question becomes, what do you have most faith in in this life to get you what you want or need? What is your leverage point to get the security and significance and love that you long for, that we all long for, that we're designed to long for? As a loving Father, God knows that when we hold on to anything other than Him for that, for our significance and for our love, really, it's holding us. He's the only thing that we can hold to who will give us freedom in return. How many people have you seen whose well-being has deteriorated in some way because of the way in which they have pursued either time or money, burned out by the amount of time they're working or gotten into crazy debt, for instance, um, through the pursuit of money? or the value of money. God alone can provide that security that we need. And so he says to us that as you give your time and your money to me as a discipline, as a practice, as you relinquish your grip, you're not letting go into a nothingness. Instead, what you're doing is you're transferring your dependence from time and money onto me. It's a transfer of dependence every time you choose to give and every time you choose to pray. You're building up the muscle of dependence on God so that it will become muscle memory and natural in the future, effortless. Now, the question you might be asking is, why can't I trust both at the same time? I've got two hands, time and money, one hand, God, the other the other hand. Why can't I trust both at the same time? Good question. Jesus, being the very smart man that he was, answers that question in the very same chapter and says this, Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I like to think of it in trapeze terms as standing up on this platform, (laughs) seven metres in the air, depending on the platform to keep me up, also holding on to the bar, which also has the ability to keep me up in the air. And I'm trusting in both. I might think I'm trusting in both at the same time even though I'm holding the bar. But actually, the platform is what's keeping me up. The majority of my dependence is still on the platform. It's not until I jump that my dependence is transferred to the bar. It's not until I take that leap, do something counterintuitive, that my dependence is transferred. I cannot possibly be depending on both of them at the same time, even though I'm holding on to both in some measure. My dependence is always in one or the other. You know, when you start doing this for the first time, you're going to feel it's going to feel counterintuitive. It's going to feel awkward. You're going to feel a pain of using muscles you didn't know you even had. (laughs) But that's a good sign. That's a sign of God stretching your faith. When you work out, you, you break down your muscles before you build them up back up again. That's what the pain is. And it's the same for us with God. As we start to pray and we start to give and we start to relinquish some of our time as we pray and our money to God as we give. We feel that tension. That's a growing pain. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. And you might say, you don't know how busy I am. You don't know how tight my budget is. And you're right. I have no idea. I have no idea. I I don't know what I'm speaking into this morning. And I have no doubt that I'm speaking into some really big situations. I have no doubt at all. But God sees and God knows. And his question for you Specifically into your situation, which I don't know. Now, I don't know the, the in, um, I don't know how enormous it is. I don't know the gravity of it. But his situation into you is: Who are you trusting? Who are you trusting? What are you trusting? What are you trusting? What is your dependence in? It can be following Jesus is hard. <laughs> it can be really counterintuitive because, as Jesus says in verse six, the Father is unseen. Pray to your Father who is unseen. All these other things are much more tangible to us. To trust in an unseen God takes what? Faith. <laughs> it takes faith. And you might think, well, what, what the heck do I get out of it? How, how do I know that this is going to be worth it, transferring my dependence to God every time I choose to give and every time I choose to pray? How do I know it's safe to let go? Lord Jesus speaks into this in both verses four and verses seven, verses four with regards to giving and verses seven, verse seven with regards to prayer, and says exactly the same thing in both instances. Your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. He knows your situation, he knows your context. He knows what's going on. He sees your sacrifice, he sees your trust, and he will reward you. Now we're not told what the reward is, but we do know That anything God gives is so much better and so much greater than anything we could leverage for ourselves through the way that we use our time and we use our money. We know that he brings a joy and a freedom and the ability to rest secure in the knowledge of a relationship with him. He brings us the security and the peace and the rest and the love that our souls yearn for. Giving and prayer in this way unlocks, as one commentator put it, the irrepressible generosity of God which he longs to pour out over your life. If you would let him reward you. Now, you might have noticed, uh, as I read out these verses that, um, about the reward, that there is a proviso. Now uh, there is, uh, It's not saying that God rewards all giving and all prayer, is it? But that which is done in secret. There's a proviso, a condition, if you like, this is giving money to a need and not telling anyone about it or spending time in prayer but not boasting to other people about how much time you spend with God, spend, spend praying to God. Which poses the question for us, what is it about private giving and prayer that makes it so much more powerful? What is the power of privacy? And really this is the key to the whole thing. This is the key to the whole thing. The, the power of transferring your dependence from time and money to God is only activated, that power is only activated when you do it privately. That's the whole way this passage is framed up. Have a look at verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness or your devotion to God, your acts of, of piety in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward in heaven. Uh, Sorry, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then he says the same about giving and about prayer as we saw before. Why is this faith-building, reward-yielding power of giving and prayer only possible when done privately? I think it's because privacy ensures that we are not using giving and prayer to get what we want and therefore not relinquishing our grip on them at all. (laughs) If people think we're really great for the amount that we're giving or the amount of time we're spending in prayer, then we're getting a sense of significance from it. We're getting a sense of, of security and approval from people through the way that we use our time and money. And so we're not relinquishing our trust in them at all. We're using them for our benefit. Jesus talks in this passage about the religious types, he calls them the hypocrites here, um, who would go about making their prayer and giving as public as possible in order to earn human approval, in order to, to earn human honour. Um, a hypocrite was the word that was used to describe actors on a Greek stage who would, who would wear masks to represent different characters, being someone who they were not. One commentator put it this way, it is easier to pose as a righteous person than to actually be one. That was the heart of what was going on uh, for these people. There was this great ostentation to their prayer and to their giving, for instance, at the three prayer times throughout the day, 9 a.m., midday, 3pm. They, they, they would set out at a perfectly marked time on their journey through the streets so that at the prayer times, at midday, they would be in the most public place possible for the most number of people to be able to see them as they would kneel and do their prayer and face the temple. They were so ostentatious, so deliberate about the most number of people being able to see them as they performed uh, their acts. Acts of righteousness, performed their acts of righteousness. It wasn't directed towards God's approval or pleasing God, honoring God. It was directed towards earning people's approval, which effectively is trusting in people, not trusting in God. And verse 2 says they have received their reward in full. Have there is a commercial term that means they, they have the receipt. They've got nothing left to look forward to. The whole thing has been paid, Their whole reward. Nothing further to look forward to from God because they've got this approval from, from other people. That's been their reward. But had they done it in private, they would have this glorious, irrepressible generosity reward from God to look forward to. The show-off gets only what he's earned, which is the approval of man. But those who give and pray for only God to see get this disproportionate, unearned return of God's grace, which is so much better. What happens when you do things publicly, it dawned on me this week, is that you will receive your reward by man. And if, if that happens, all the power of this faith-growing exercise is diffused because you're just using them as leverage points to get what you want. When they're done privately, we're not leveraging our time and our money to get anything from ourselves. We are truly transferring our dependence over to God because there's no one to impress, only a God who loves us. I kind of think of this like a vacuum. A vacuum has power because it's sealed off, right? That's the definition of a vacuum, I think. <laughs> it's sealed off. It has great power. If you were to open that up and try to use the vacuum, nothing. It wouldn't work. It's the same with this faith build. The faith-building power of these exercises, giving and prayer, only happens when it's private, when it's sealed off, when it's just you and God. Open that up to other people and the power goes right out of it. Is that making sense? How's that feeling? You feeling a bit of attention? It's good if you are, that's the faith stretch, that's God building your muscles. How do you feel about devoting time to God in prayer with no one else knowing about it? No chance of human approval or recognition giving your money to God or giving to the needy, giving to God through giving to the needy without anybody knowing about it? Are you content for God to see that and God only? It builds up our faith muscles when we transfer our dependence from our time and our money to God without anybody else knowing. And bit by bit, but bit by bit, it creates this amazing muscle memory where we come to trust in him in a natural way, when it comes to big things of life that we never would have been able to approach without anxiety, we have a calm confidence in our God because we've been practicing and working out our faith muscles by giving and praying privately. And each stretch that causes tension is a sign of growth, so take courage when you feel that. But It also takes a certain amount of faith to engage with this, doesn't it? While each stretch, each prayer, each donation, um, each engagement with a message like this is a stretch for us and builds our faith, it also takes a certain amount of faith to enter into this with our God. What I mean by that really is this. Do you trust the trainer? Do you trust the trainer, Jesus It's all well and good to say, yes, I'm going to practice relinquishing my grip on, on time and money so that I can grow my faith muscles and trust in God. And you might do that okay for a while, but it's not going to be sustainable if you're not on the same page as the trainer of where he's wanting to get you and if you don't trust him to be able to get you there. You need to be able to trust your trainer in order to submit to the exercises that they give you. Here's some questions to think about. Do I trust the trainer to be skilled enough in what he does to make me into a person of big faith so that I can engage in these disciplines? Do I believe he sees my potential? Because I might not. Does he see what's in you? Does he see what you can become? Do you believe that he sees that, even if you don't see it yourself? Do I want to allow him to draw that potential out of me? Do I want to become a person of big faith? If I want to become good at trapeze, I'm going to have to practice these exercises and trust in my trainers. And am I willing to submit to the process? If you feel the Holy Spirit tapping you on the shoulder or nudging your heart, maybe write these down, take a photo of them, come back to them again later, pray them through with God, talk them through with God, reflect on them later. This is not a message that's designed to stay in this uh, one hour or so service. This is, this is a word, there is a word in here from, from God himself for us to shape our hearts and shape our lives, for us to continue to chew on throughout the week. He wants to grow you into a person of big faith. He sees such potential in you to be a person of big faith. No matter what you think of yourself, no matter how you compare yourself to other people, no matter what you see in others that you don't see in yourself, God sees huge potential in you, amazing, incredible potential in you. He can take anybody and turn them into a person of big faith, of big trust in him. A couple of verses came to mind for me as I was thinking about this. One is First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. This is the Apostle Paul writing, and he says, He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The context is talking about becoming people um, who are blameless and live lives that are in right alignment with God. He who calls is faithful. He will do it. He is the one who is going to make you into a person of big faith. We just need to join him in the, doing the exercises the other one is Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, also Paul writing, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. In other words, it's God who gives you the desire to participate. It's God who helps you work it out. It's God who makes you into a person of big faith. This is not something that we can ever muster up the muster up the strength or the courage or the faith to do ourselves. It is all a gift from him. It is all his working in and through us. It's his job. You just need to decide if you're going to trust him as your trainer. Submit to the exercises that he gives you and over time, watch yourself grow. You've seen this happen in other people's lives, right? Same can be true for you. You might want to start this week and decide ahead of time to say, I'm going to carve out the first five minutes of my day. Think about however many minutes you want to make it of my day to talk to God, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever you, wherever you want to start, one minute. I'm going to talk to God, give him the first of my minutes, and I'm going to decide ahead of time how much, say, percentage of my income I want to give to God, or what need I want to support, what charity I want to donate to. Pick something for the next 30 days, 10 days, whatever you want. Start small, think of something Practical example, I'm sure they're all coming to your mind right now. Run with it. Take something and run with it and give it a go. Practice, practice. Give yourself a short time frame to start with and go from there. We have a God who has proved himself faithful to transform lives. All across this room, he's transforming lives. He's a God who puts his money where his mouth is. He put his whole life where his mouth is became a human in Jesus Christ to set us free, rose from the dead to to put that same resurrection power to raise us back to life and transform us. So it's that same power that is at work within us to make us people of big faith. You have a trainer who is for you, who can transform you. The best is yet to come when it comes to your life. He is faithful and he will do it.